Good morning, and welcome to this time of worship at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand and join me for the call to worship. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time to come and worship. In the midst of stressful weeks and busy schedules, may we use this time to refocus on you and hear what you would say to us today. Amen.
Amen. We've come to worship our God who is so gracious and merciful to us. It's great to see you here as we gather for worship today. And I want to invite you to take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship. Perhaps introduce yourself to someone that you do not know. As you can see, there are a number of inserts in your bulletin today. Uh, A lot of our ministries are in the startup phase, and uh, we are excited about that and uh, giving you opportunities to be involved in ministries, a wide variety of uh, opportunities. And I want to encourage you to take a look at those and see what ways uh, God may be leading you to serve one and serve others in the church and even outside the, the doors of the church. So please take a look at those. One of the inserts in your bulletin is uh, about Christian Life Emphasis Week that begins today. And there's a biographical uh, sketch of our speaker, Dr. Marvin McMickle. And he will be sharing this morning and throughout the rest of Christian Life Emphasis Week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, tonight. Monday, Tuesday evenings, you see the times and all the rest of the services will be in the chapel and at the the college. And we'd love to have you be a part of this time together as we uh, come and and ask God to do something significant and special in us as we begin this new academic year.
The God who rejoices over us, calls us to come before him and to honestly and openly acknowledge our confession to him. And so I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we confess that we are often swept up in the tide of our generation. We have failed in our calling to be your holy people, a people set apart for your divine purposes. We live more in apathy, born of fatalism, than in passion, born of hope. We are moved more by private ambition than by social justice. We dream more of privilege and benefits than of service and sacrifice. We try to speak in your name without relinquishing our glories, without nourishing our souls, without relying wholly on your grace. Help us to make room in our hearts and lives for you. Forgive us, revive us, and reshape us in your image. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is found in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of the doxology as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Lord, 
as we take time to remember and give thanks for each way that you have blessed us, we graciously give back to you today. Amen. As we spend a few moments in corporate prayer, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me.
Most gracious Father, it is amazing to think that you, the God of all, would invite us to come and to come into your presence and to offer our prayers. To come with a passion and a desire to walk and to live closer to you. Because you, the God of grace and mercy, keeps calling us, yearning for us, desiring us to be close to you. Father, we come today acknowledging how much we need you. And we give thanks that you hear our prayers and you answer always in the way you know is best. This morning we pray for the needs that are on our hearts that we represent. We think of people who are grieving and ask for your comforting grace in their lives. We pray for those who are struggling with health issues. And we think particularly of Bruce and Matt and of Alton and Dick. We pray for Isla and Bev and for Edna, for Linda. Micah and Bill and Crystal and Emily and others who come to our minds this morning. We pray for all of the needs that we represent. Needs of relationships. Needs that are financial. Needs about our our work, our homes, the church. We ask for your grace. Father, we pray for our world. We live in a world that is far too often characterized by pain and violence and death. This morning we pray for people who are without adequate food and water and shelter and safety. We think of those in our world who are most vulnerable the victims. We ask that you will protect them. Watch over them. We pray that your church will be a presence in their lives, bringing hope and life in the midst of despair and death. We pray, Lord, for our our brothers and sisters who live with the constant threat of opposition and violence and death. We think especially of the people who are working near the city of Erbil. And even though the United Nations people have evacuated, they are staying and working and helping. And we ask that you will protect them and bless their efforts. And may they know the power of Christ in their lives and may the power of the gospel be evident in all that they do. We pray for Corey and Chris Theed as they work in Haiti and pray that you will continue to bless them in this nation of great need. We pray for Dave Doherty as he is working with the Kenyan Gideons distributing Bibles the next few weeks and may their efforts bear great fruit for the kingdom. 
Lord, we pray that you will continue to bless our world and the great needs that we see and witness and grieve over. Father, we pray this week that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon Dr. McMickle and upon all of our gatherings. We pray that you will anoint him as he speaks and that you will anoint us as we listen. Help us to listen with minds and and ears and hearts that are open to you. And we pray that this week will be a defining moment in our individual lives and in our corporate life. That we will look back to this week as a time when we saw you work miraculously. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your work in our lives. We offer our prayers and all that we are to you, giving thanks to you through your spirit and your son who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Following the scripture reading, children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church. Our New Testament reading is from the book of Jude, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Hear the word of the Lord. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy... To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
I feel suddenly alone. <laughs> Let us pray. Oh God, with hearts that are full of thanksgiving for the abundance of your grace and gifts, for your immeasurable goodness, your unfailing love, and your constant care for your people. We give you thanks. For the worship that we have experienced, for the word that has been read, and now for the privilege of dividing it, receiving it, pondering it, and being challenged by it. We offer ourselves to you. Speak, Lord, while your servants pause to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me first of all begin by saying good morning to all of you and thanking God for the privilege and opportunity to be here with you today. This is the third service today, one more tonight, and six more as the week unfolds. So uh, it's going to be a wonderful time in Houghton. I thank the pastor for the invitation. I thank all of the worship leaders, choir and musicians for a marvelous and uplifting time of song. And especially uh, grateful to the pianist who gave us uh, just a closer walk with thee. I must say, on the first few chords, uh, put me in the mind of George Gershwin. Um, (laughs) Marvelous arrangement, marvelous musical abilities and insights for which I am deeply grateful. I want to begin today from Genesis 4. by reminding you that what is at stake in the text is an evasive question and not a clear and unequivocal affirmation. That what Cain is doing in Genesis 4 is not accepting responsibility for his brother, but evading and avoiding a question from God concerning his brother's whereabouts and well-being. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, I know people, I've heard people, I've read of people who take that not as a question. They've transformed it into an answer. They they think that what the text says or that what they should be saying is I am my brother's keeper. They feel good about themselves in saying it. I am my brother's keeper. They stand tall and and boast about it. I, I am my brother's keeper. Now, the text doesn't say that. Cain doesn't say that. 
All that Cain is doing is slipping and dodging and avoiding and evading any responsibility whatsoever for Abel. All that he has said is, am I? Here's how the story begins and unfolds. Adam and Eve give birth to two sons. First one is Cain, the older brother, who goes on to have a career as a farmer, as a tiller of the soil. The second one is Abel, who goes on to be a shepherd or a herder of some sort, goats, lambs. He keeps the flock. As was the custom, they each bring an offering to the Lord. 10% of what God has blessed them to have. 10% of your flock, 10% of your field, an offering unto God. For reasons that I will not begin to explain, because I haven't got a clue as to why, God shows favor on the offering of Abel, on the shepherd but does not seem to show favor on the offering of Cain, the tiller of the soil. Cain was the older brother. He probably was accustomed to having things his own way. So when God shows favor to his younger brother, Cain gets angry with God. How dare God prefer my brother over me. How dare God show favor to Abel's sacrifice and not to mine? Now, since he was that angry, God says to him, if you've got, if you've got something to say to me, say it. If you want to ask me why I preferred what your brother did to what you did, Get it off your chest, but don't brood about it. Because brooding about why God does one thing for someone and something else for somebody else becomes an opportunity for sin. Which is just what happens. Cain invites Abel for a walk in the field. And while they are there, Cain kills his brother driven by jealousy, he kills his brother. Driven by envy, he kills his brother. Driven by anger and rage, he kills his brother. Subsequently, God comes with a very direct question. Where is your brother? Now, this was rhetorical in every sense. God knew precisely where Abel was. God knew precisely what Cain had done. This was not an opportunity to inform God about anything. This was a chance for Cain 
to accept responsibility for his actions. An opportunity to be held accountable for his deeds. But instead of owning up to anything, he ducks. He dodges. He avoids. He evades with this question. Am I my brother's keeper? Abel was the shepherd. So Cain knew what keeping looked like. Keeping involved protecting one's flock from danger. Keeping involved keeping the wolves at bay. Keeping involved being sure that the flock was fed and watered and nurtured and cared for. Laying one's life down for the sheep. He knew what keeping meant. And he asked this question, am I my brother's keeper? Hebrew word behind that word, keeper, shawmar, shawmar, to build a hedge around someone, to keep someone encircled, enclosed, so that hurt, harm, danger cannot penetrate It's the same thought that is in the book of Job. When Satan tries to bring Job down and cannot and says to God, it's because you have him hedged in. You've put your arms around him in such a way I can't get to him. You are keeping him from me. But if you remove the hedge, I can remove Job from your side. You are Job's keeper. How do you answer this question? Am I my brother's keeper? Do you you jump to the conclusion that you are? Now, maybe you are if it is really your brother. Your flesh and blood, born and reared, eat at the same table, sleep in the same bed, grow up in the same household, maybe you do keep your brother or your sister or your mother or your father or your son or your daughter, your flesh and blood. There are some things we will do for our own family that we might not do for anybody else on earth. When I was a child, eight or nine years old, I wasn't six foot four. I was very short and very round and very slow of foot. I was a perfect target for older boys who in the winters of Chicago were looking for candidates to become Frosty the Snowman. And they would find me and they would hold me down and they would cover me in snow and they would have the grandest time at my expense. 
Usually I would just have to endure it. After all, I could hardly run away. But on one occasion, one occasion, things got a little out of hand, a little more than just fun and games. I was kind of being beaten up. And someone thought to call my brother. Four years older, a good deal taller, not at all rotund. And while I was his personal punching bag, he would not allow anybody else the privilege. And he heard what was happening. And from somewhere, I don't know how he manifested himself, but one minute I'm in the snow being beaten up, and the next minute my brother is standing between me and them, driving them off like a herder drives off the flock, and says to them, I can hear his words to this day, I don't want any of you ever again to bother him. And they never did again. Thanks be to God. I then turned to him, half shock, half amazement, half gratitude, half dismay, and asked him why he would do such a thing, why he would risk himself for my sake. His answer, as only my older brother could have coined it, was simple. I had to do it, Fatso. (laughs) He had to get that in. I, I had to do it. He could have just said, I had to do it. No, 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 my brother, I had to do it, comma, Fatso, because you are my So maybe it is true that for our real brothers, our flesh and blood, live in the same house, eat at the same table, brother, maybe for them there are some things that we will do. The question for the day and the question of the gospel is how far we allow the notion of brother or sister to extend. For whom will we go above and beyond the call of duty? For our family alone? For our neighbors across the street, but only them? For the members of our church, but only them? For those who live in our city, but not farther? For those of our ethnic group? or our racial group, or our economic class group, how far do we allow the notion of who is my brother, who is my sister, just how far do you take that? For whom are we willing to be held responsible? Or is it more convenient to just pick and choose those for whom we will at least try to keep 
but leave so many more off our minds, out of our hearts, without our love, without our care. You can't boast, I am my brother's keeper, and then limit it just to the ones it is comfortable or convenient or socially acceptable to keep and ignore all the other needs around us. Most of what is wrong in the world, most of what the pastor was praying for is the result of our conscious decisions not to keep. Not to affirm someone as a brother or a sister. To draw some line of division between us and them and say, I will not love you, I will not feed you, I will not protect you, I will not care for you. In fact... I will rape you, I will shoot you, I will do all manner of evil to you because I don't see in you the same humanity that I see in myself. Am I my brother's keeper? It all depends on which brother you have in mind. The fact is, there are some folks I would love to have kept from some things my own brother included. That's his heart now, almost 70 years old. He was a Vietnam-era war veteran. Two tours of duty, 26 months, the kind of combat that he has never been able to discuss. Seeing things that those who were not there would never comprehend. His only delight in that 26-month experience was one month of R&R that he spent in Hong Kong, at which time he bought for himself some electronic equipment, which was, in 1969, the state of the art. Turntables, speakers, mixers. It was the pride of his brand new apartment in Chicago on the day he gave himself a coming home party. And he had the music playing on his brand new state-of-the-art electronic equipment. Oh, he was so proud of it. The next day, he went off to work. He came home. All of that equipment had been stolen. Someone who had come to his welcome home party came back to his home the next day and stole all of that equipment. Oblivious, I am sure, to the circumstances under which my brother happened to acquire it. They didn't care. They weren't his keeper. And he came home and saw all of this gone. On top of the scars and the psychological damage of 26 months 
of combat, there was the disheartening reality that someone close enough to be a friend, to be invited to the party, was willing to rob him of those goods. The two together, the war and the robbery, scarred him in ways that left him, for me, almost unrecognizable. If I could have kept my brother from that, I would have. Or my mother. When I was 10 years old, I came home from school, and there was on the kitchen door a note that was addressed simply to the family, not to my wife, not to my mother by her first name, in which case I would have left it alone. But it didn't say her name, it didn't say her title, it said to the family. Well, I was in the family, so I read the note in my father's handwriting. A note that said, goodbye, good luck, can't stay, can't cope, took half the furniture, took most of the money from the bank account, and left my mother both in debt and with two sons, 110, 114. When she came home, finally, I showed her the note. And my mother did something that I have never seen her do before. Now, this is not to say she never did it. She just never did it in front of me. She broke out in tears. She sobbed uncontrollably. My mother leaned her head on my shoulder, pouring out her anguish. If I could have kept her from that, don't you think I would? I'm not my mother's keeper. I'm not my brother's keeper. I can love my brothers and my sisters. I can forgive them when they hurt me. I can care for them in times of need. I can support them, encourage them. But keep Shamar, hedge them in so no harm can come. No. I can't hedge myself. <coughs> Much less somebody else. Is is there anybody here who, if you could, would have kept yourself from trouble? But you couldn't. Oh, about uh, 10 years ago, I went for my annual physical. And my doctor, at the end of the experience, performed that ritual to which all men look forward. He asked me to bend over put on a glove, got some lubricant, 
performed an examination and sent me home. A week later, he called me. Now, this is, this, it's never good when the doctor calls you. You can call the doctor. That's all right. But when, when, when the doctor decides to call you, you better wonder what's going on. And I did. And he said, I want you to come back in. I want to redo that exam. Because you've got what looks to us like prostate cancer. He tried to treat it as something else. But in the end, a month later, after other kinds of medicines, it was confirmed I had cancer. 55 years old, I had cancer. I got mad with God. I'll tell you. I I took God to task. I said, Lord, I'm out here for you. Writing books, preaching sermons, giving speeches, going all around the country for you. And this is what you give me? I told the Lord, I know at least 12 people who aren't doing anything. (laughs) They have no agenda whatsoever. You could have given this to them, and if they had died, they wouldn't even have been missed. This you give to me? But what I heard back from the Lord... And I heard it back in English. Not Hebrew, not Greek, not Aramaic, not Latin. English. Yes, yes, said the Lord. I did allow this to happen to you so that when I bring you through this, when I deliver you from this, you will be in an even better position to say to somebody else that while we are not each other's keeper, there is someone who is, who can bring us through the hardest times of life, who can sustain us through the ups and downs of the human experience. Kent's the story, the text, the affirmation of Jude. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, who can be your shaman. Somebody here knows what I'm talking about. Because you've been kept from something, you've been kept through something, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come, was grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me on. I don't know why, before you ask me, why God doesn't keep us from everything. If God is such a keeper, why doesn't God keep people from earthquakes? Famines, floods. My hometown is Rochester. It's been a tough week in Rochester. A police officer was shot and killed by a man who wasn't even one month out of his last prison experience. The next day, two of the most prominent citizens in the city were flying their own aircraft from Rochester to Naples, Florida. Something happened on board the plane. 
They crashed off the coast of Jamaica. Why didn't God keep all that from happening? Listen, the day I can tell you the mind of God is the day that you won't need God anymore. Just call on me. I'll have all the answers. I don't know why God does what God does or when God chooses to do it. All I know is there have been those moments in my life and yours when God has been a keeper. But even when God cannot do it, will not do it, does not do it, don't you volunteer for the job. You aren't your brother's keeper. You are your brother's brother your sister's sister, your neighbor's friend. But the Bible is clear. Number six is clear. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Isaiah is clear. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Psalm 121 is clear. He that keepeth you neither slumbers nor sleeps. I know I've been kept by God. I'm standing in front of you because of the keeping power of God and God alone. Ten years ago, I was teaching at Ashland Seminary in Ashland, Ohio, which had an off-site location in Detroit, Michigan. And every now and then, we would go from Ashland, or I was living in Cleveland, up to Detroit to teach a class. It was a Friday afternoon, about 5 o'clock. I-75 North. Friday afternoon, 18-wheel trucks everywhere, ripping by, blowing their horn, flashing their lights, just like they owned the road. Something happened to me. I either fell asleep or just lost my focus. I don't know. But my car drifted left into a cement road divider. I then bounced off of that and skidded with my brakes on across three lanes of traffic, left lane, center lane, right lane, and went head on into a steel girder, which was the only thing between me and an embankment about 10 feet down. If I had not hit right at that point, my car would have gone down the embankment, probably rolled over, I'd have been dead. Instead, the only thing that happened, no truck hit me, I hit no other car. The only only casualty was this. When my car hit the steel embankment, the airbag came out and it broke my glasses. (laughs) No bones hurt, no body else involved. The only casualty was my car, which was totaled, and my glasses. So I called a tow truck. They took me to the uh, Detroit airport. They left my car there. 
I got my sunglasses, rented a car, went on and taught my class that night in my prescription sunglasses, drove back home, asking myself the question, how on earth did I survive that? I only have one answer. You answered any way you want. My brother did not keep me. My mother did not keep me. My friends did not keep me. But I had a keeper who reached down in love and hedged me in. Are you your brother's keeper? Probably not. But aren't you glad that you and your brother and your sister and your mother and your father can be kept? Thanks be to God. God of glory.
using the words from Jude, as our benediction. And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding great joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty Dominion and power now and forever. Amen.